Hello everyone and welcome to Celebrating Cinema. This is a podcast for the love of cinema. I'm your host Elliot and if you haven't already please make sure to leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to us on and share with friends who might also enjoy our conversations about film. It really helps us to keep growing and continue speaking to great guests like Molly Manning Walker who I had the pleasure of speaking with via Zoom. If you don't know already Molly Manning Walker's feature debut, How to Have Sex, has taken the world by storm. After premiering here in the Netherlands at IFFR, this coming-of-age drama is now out in cinemas and screening at Lab. This story follows Tara and her two best friends on a rite of passage holiday in Malia. Take a listen. Oh my god! What's your name? Tara. Oh! No one cares if you're a virgin, it's very chill. So why are you bringing it up then? Alright, do us a favour and wake Tara up. And she yours. Since the Me Too movement, it's surprising how conversations of consent are still not common in public dialogue, especially for younger generations. Well, here to change all that is Molly. With only 15 minutes to chat with the British filmmaker, we managed to cover a lot. We discuss how this film is being used in classrooms to talk about consent, and why it was important to have fun while shooting such a serious issue. Speaking with Molly, one thing is clear. She really cherishes how this film is connecting with people on a personal level. Hi Molly, I wanted to first ask, how have you been? Because life, I imagine, has probably been a bit of a, a roller coaster these last 12 months. The film, How to Have Sex, has blown up in a, in a big way. How have you kind of adjusted to that and managed with it all? Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. It's been kind of unfathomable. Like we were talking about it, like we would never have thought a year ago that we'd be here day um but yeah been a ride like I think it's only kind of starting to settle in now now that we kind of had a bit of time to slow down and what's kind of the the feedback and the reactions you've had I, I imagine must have been amazing but sort of on a personal note the people coming up to you and talking to you about the film yeah it's been it's been crazy I mean like we kind of hoped that women would feel seen by the film but we didn't really know to what scale and I guess so many people feel they recognize their experience in it which is both like super tragic and kind of empowering as well and um, I guess the more radical thing is that lots of men have felt that they recognize their experience in it too and I think sort of vouch to change and understand that there's like a problem that feels really special. Mm, I can imagine. Um, I have to be honest I, I haven't watched the film yet and I've kind of been deliberate in that because I was sent a screener, but I also have a ticket to go watch it in the cinema uh, this weekend. I watched it in the cinema. Yeah, I was really thinking this kind of film kind of has to be watched communally to really understand just the awkwardness of it, the dark sides of it, the how problematic, how unaware we are of issues of consent and I wondered what you thought of this in terms of having to watch it or suggesting to watch it more in a communal in a communal way I think definitely like 
what there's like a moment in the film where the whole cinema goes from like laughter and enjoyment to like really uncomfortable and uh, I always really enjoy that because I think uh, communally we should feel that uncomfortableness and we should talk about that and we should try and like address it because I think it's something that in society we've avoided for so long um, so yeah I kind of agree that it's a communal experience yeah I, I also think being able to watch a film kind of gives you the language or at least a shared experience to then find some common ground to speak about this issue which I really like and I'm kind of looking forward to uh to watching but i i also read the idea for this film came from based on your own personal experiences but also on a particular holiday you had but the way you then recounted that holiday with your friends perhaps you could share more about that yeah so like um a bunch of the scenes from the film we experienced on holiday and i think at the time i felt uncomfortable but like i didn't feel comfortable to say that to the group and so like pretended I was having the best time ever. And I think in hindsight, when we all talked about it, we all kind of felt as uncomfortable as each other. And um, I think that's something about teenagehood that's really interesting is, is that we're kind of pretending to be someone we're not and it takes a while to figure out who that person is. Mm. And I, I also read that you uh, you sort of did some workshopping with teenagers um, for this film. And I thought, Again, maybe you can share a bit about that because I was quite surprised. I find Gen Z are perhaps better than a lot of us at, about speaking about certain issues like identity, mental health, but it seemed from the workshops that you did that still consent or our ideas of consent was still, yeah, there still wasn't an understanding of what consent really is. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we have a very um, Netflix version of Gen Z in our heads. And I think, you know, there's a, like, there is a Gen Z that exists outside there that's super queer friendly and talking about mental health. And it's like probably the sons and daughters of lots of people that work in the arts <laughs> and <laughs> like has, have money to buy like really cool clothes. And, yeah, yeah. and I think we've been kind of fed that image a little bit. And um, what we realized when we did these workshops is there's like lots of other people out there too. Um, that um that live different lives and and have different opinions yeah mm. and have you been able to show this film to uh the younger generation in a way that has prompted conversation and what's that been like we're we're currently showing it in schools as part of a curriculum which is amazing yeah that's crazy and like i had this quite wild experience when we showed it in a school recently and i just went and like was a fly on the wall kind of just sat at the back. They didn't tell them who I was. And um, these two kids didn't understand that either of the scenes were assault. And these other quite like what could be stereotypical to scary guys like stood up and was like, listen, mate, the reason you can't have sex with someone when blah, 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 and, like explaining to the rest of the class, like what consent is and like, yeah. and that like really emotional moment for me, which was like, yeah. wow, if, we, if it can be used as a like, source for other kids to have this conversation and that's amazing yeah yeah how did you manage to sort of choreograph the uh the, uh, the sex scenes involved in the film because i think you used an intimacy coordinator what's that like i think 
while it seems quite like common practice now these days, perhaps people don't really know what that is or what that involves. Yeah, for me, it's super important. Like, I can't imagine working without an intimacy coordinator now. It's like, you know, um, such an amazing tool to have for the actors to build a barrier between the set and how they're feeling in the scene. And we, like, very tightly choreographed those scenes, and they were the, probably the most rehearsed bits of the film. And that was to make sure that both the crew and the cast were protected and felt safe. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's something that should be obligatory to be honest you know it's a creative practice in the end of the day and like it's all make-believe so like we should feel safe in the same way that a fight should be safe a sex scene should be safe as well and I think that's what intimacy coordinators do again when I was sort of reading about the production of this film it really seemed like you had a lot of fun making it all of you and uh I wondered how you're able to balance that with making such a serious subject I think we had to have fun in order to like uh, to make the film because it is such a serious topic. And I think, you know, if we'd have been bleak set, it would have just been a really bleak time for everyone. <laughs> um, so we like made sure that everyone had relief. So we like played football every Sunday and had sing-alongs and mm. had barbecue. It was a really tight community. And also, you know, we were shooting on a Greek island. It was quite hard to not have a good time. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the location itself, the, how did you come across the pool? Because for those that don't know what the pool uh, is, perhaps you can tell them. <laughs> the pool is in the shape of a penis. And uh, we had already booked the hotel and we were standing mm. on the roof of the hotel on a tech recce trying to figure out where to put the lights. And we looked down and we're like, is a pool? No, surely not. And then the owner was with us and he was like, hee, hee, hee. And we were like, the pool's a penis shape. Um, and then the line producer came up to me in the middle of the shoot and was like, hey, man, we're kind of under budget. Like, is there anything you want? And I was like, I really want a drone shot of the penis pool. And so we got a drone shot of the penis pool. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So this is your first film you've directed, but your background is in cinematography. Uh, what led you to want to direct your own films and, and how did your background of cinematography influence this film itself? I, I get the impression it's quite a visual film in terms of colour and the choices you make in shooting it. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think I could have made this film, to be honest, without the background of cinematography. It's like quite an intense shoot, like 200 extras a day. And I think just having the set experience to understand um like how to quickly cover that sort of like atmosphere or uh, make it look like there's more people in a club than we actually had, stuff like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, the visuals were really important to me. And I, I think that was part of the reason of like creating it on this holiday was that I knew it was a really cinematic backdrop for the story rather than like trying to tell it in, you know, London or in sort of mm. like a gray space. Could you could you make it quite, from what I gather, very uh, rooted in realism in the way you shoot it? Yeah, so like uh, I hired a documentary cinematographer and mm. everything was sort of like based on reality. So the costume designer came out and like took photos of real people and like the production designer was like, when we were scouting real hotels, was like taking photos of people's like mess to replicate and it was all <laughs> kind of based on reality. 
<laughs> How did you end up in filmmaking to start with? I know your family are all involved in film, but what sort of inspired you or what made you think this is something you wanted to do? Uh, I thought I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker, so I guess that's kind of where the realism comes from as well. Um, mm. I, like, got... I, I guess, from like, me and Charlotte always talk about it, like, we were sort of the generation, the 5D generation that grew up with, like, the access accessibility to cameras, and so I was always, like, out making little films on my own, and um, then I thought I wanted to be a cinematographer, so kind of transitioned into that, and then, yeah. I wanted more like like why why film I guess what it, what do you think there is a power in the stories that you can tell I mean you kind of already see it with the impact that how to have sex is having but perhaps do you feel like you can change something or yeah I guess you know that the I've always been interested in politics and kind of like things that go wrong in the world and I think film has this amazing power to kind of like shed a light in a way that other people experience things and. Yeah, I guess how to have sex is a real um really shows that because it's seen so many people have felt seen by it and and recognized their own experience in it. And I guess in doing that, it allows other people to see it. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned Charlotte there. I, I guess you were mentioning referring to Charlotte Regan, right? The uh director of Scrapper, who you were also the DOP for. And I, I'm I'm sure you've already had this comparison already, but I feel like you, Charlotte, and Charlotte Wells are sort of really part of this, and a new wave of female filmmakers, quite akin to Andrea Arnold and Lynn Ramsey. Uh, how did it kind of feel to be even mentioned in those with those names, or to be part of this sort of new wave? <laughs> well, I'm a big Andrea Arnold, Lynn Ramsey, Charlotte Wells, Charlotte Regan fan, so I'm happy to be yeah. in that crowd. <laughs> Well, what are some of your favorite films actually out of interest? Um, Fish Tank, Prisoners, yeah. uh, Poor Things, Big Up, Poor Things. It's gone straight yeah. up there. Uh, the Tribe. Uh, what else? Lahaine, big, big, big French cinema fan. Uh, Fat Girls. Quite a mix. Yeah, I like quite like dark stuff. A big Andrea Arnold fan, I can tell. <laughs> While telling films that sort of speak to, like you say, sort of social and political issues are important, perhaps you can also share about the community you're building within filmmaking. Um, sort of, I'm, when I say this, I'm referring to Babe City FC, a, a Sunday league team for women, women and non-binary people in film and television industry. What's that kind of like, being able to cultivate a whole community around filmmaking so that, you're not necessarily, uh, you're seeing more familiar faces around you that you're getting to make these projects with. Yeah, Babe City came about because I was like, I was in a moment where I was like, mm, did I had a crew around me that I didn't feel like were my people. And and so I needed to reconnect with my crews and, and my what I felt was my people. So we kind of, you know, we started as 10 people kicking about a ball and, and now we're 270 people and, I've really seen some people shift, like trainees join Babe City who were like having a really t- tough time in the industry and feel really insecure and actually feel like leaving the industry. And then they kind of find a new camera team or whatever it is and within the within the team and, and rise really quickly. And there's something about team sport that I think is so mm, transferable into filmmaking. And, you know, you can 
you can you can build confidence and you know I see players join and they're kicking the ball and they're like maybe a bit nervous and they're like sorry 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 and then like two weeks later they're scoring goals and they're like really confident in themselves and it's it's quite beautiful to watch to be honest yeah that's that's amazing how many if you don't mind me asking how many people from babe city were involved in the production of how to have sex sadly because we shot we shot across um in greece so it was mostly greek crew but the costume designer is a is a babe city player yeah what what was it like shooting with a, a greek crew an international they're the best um we love we love the greek crew um they're really family to me and and you know we played football every sunday on the on the film and i think a similar thing that happens at babe city is that like it really bonded the team in a way that we could never have imagined. Like everyone knew each other's names and everyone was sort of like, a, a, yeah, a big team. And and just to end, I think it'd be nice to know how we can kind of make this film, not just a moment, but part of sort of like a more growing social shift. And I wondered if you had any ideas of that. I mean, I'm sure just talking about it is good, but how do you, kind of continue those conversations past this film yeah i think talking about it and showing it to friends and families and and you know being responsible for talking up when your friends are acting questionably and being kinder to each other and yeah thank you very much molly it was a real pleasure speaking with you uh, and i'm looking forward to finally watching the film in cinema thank you i hope you enjoy it I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Molly Manning-Walker. You can book your tickets now to see How to Have Sex via the link in the description or at lab111.nl. If you would like to hear more great conversations about cinema, check out my conversation with legendary British filmmaker Ken Loach on his latest film The Old Oak and his call for solidarity, or to our latest episode discussing what's happened to sex in cinema. Make sure to leave a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on and share with friends. This has been a Lab 111 production edited by myself, Elliot Bloom, music from Hugo Amazal and artwork from Studio FFF.